Let's Talk Home Repair is sponsored by Matriarchy Build, who provide tele-DIY services connecting homeowners to vetted pros for one-on-one video consultations. Visit matriarchybuild.com to get guidance on projects as small as a leaky faucet or as big as a home remodel. You can even book a session with Amy themselves. Visit www.matriarchybuild.com. Tele-DIY. Like telehealth? Yeah. Cool. I know. I'm Amy, general contractor. I'm Alicia, homeowner. And we're talking home repair. Welcome to Let's Talk Home Repair. We have a great show today. We have a special guest from the field, Courtney Gephardt, joining us soon. We have your questions. We have some tools, tricks, and tips. And later on, we have some remodeling advice around contingencies. But first, we have a special guest. We do. Today, we're going to be talking to Courtney Gebhardt of um, Blue Sound Construction. She is co-director with her partner there. And she and I are co-chairs on a technical advisory committee for one of the the local colleges. And um, Courtney's doing some great work with a, she called it a learn and earn uh, program. So I'm going to let Courtney explain that a little bit more. So hi, Courtney. Welcome. Hi, Amy. Thank you. So, yes, yeah, Seattle Colleges received a grant um, towards setting up these career micropathways. And I had been sort of hunting around through um, the Wood Tech Center, which Amy and I are co-chair of, and trying to seek out ways that we could support um, more formal training in, in carpentry. And so um, the college reached out to me, got me involved, and I just kind of helped push them towards um, residential construction being their focus um, because we've just experienced a pretty severe um, labor shortage in terms of skilled carpenters. Um, A lot of people are retiring out of the field, and I just felt like there wasn't enough visibility to um, existing workers of how they could get in and get trained. And so, um, so they used this grant money in order to help set up a residential carpentry earn and learn program. So explain to us what that earn and learn means. What What's that look yeah. like for somebody wanting to come into this program? Yeah, so it's very experimental. So it remains to be seen how successful it is. How it's going to work. Idea, I know it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to work. It's going to work. Um, the idea is that we're going to have two job fairs before um, the course actually starts in the fall. And that is to get people placed in day jobs so that then when they begin their um, carpentry courses, which would actually be one night a week, um, one weekend a month, they um, are getting kind of the skills learning during the day, but they're getting a lot of conceptual framework during the night and then um, some hands-on skill building on those, you know, once a month weekend courses. Um, so really, it would be an incomplete program if they weren't also working during the day. Um, but a lot of people that enter the trades, they just go directly to the field and they never get the opportunity to understand kind of how the whole building goes together. And so it sort of holds them back from making very quick gains to the higher wage lead carpenter site superintendent role, which actually in our region, we are in dire need of those leadership roles. Um so it just seemed like kind of a sweet spot that, you know, there's a lot of people maybe work, looking for work coming out of COVID and here's a chance that they can continue earning an income. They don't have to drop their work in order to go to school. 
Um, but they aren't just going directly into the field without any support or formal education. Oh, I love that idea. So it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Come to these, come to these job fairs, right? There's two of them, right? Correct. And so there's going to be people like me and Courtney there looking for potential employees. And you know, companies like yours and, and Courtney's, you know that you're looking for, at this point, labor slash interns. We're always looking for anybody. Okay. Yes. Uh, is that true, Courtney? I mean, I know it is for me. Yes. Right. Yep. Definitely. So, so they're, definitely. they're coming in, they're coming to these, these job fairs and they're talking to the owners or the project managers or production managers or whatever. And, you know, they, they strike up a deal. Mm-hmm. And so the, the employer is going to hire them. And they're going to work during this time they're going through school. And I believe we're even, it's even going to be where the employer is um, putting together a contract of sorts with that person Mm. to, so we support them going through the program. So it's really a win-win for these people wanting to get into this program or wanting to to get into residential remodeling and and construction um, because they're going to school, they're getting paid. They've got a great employer that's that's ready there to support them. Do, do you agree with that, Courtney? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And I'm really excited about the the job contract portion of it because um, it it begins in an advance that then the employer can kind of work it in their calculation of sort of a benefit being conferred. But as they enter into an agreement that after a certain amount of work is being performed or for a certain amount of time, that employee is slowly paying down that loan and it converts to a company expense. So they never have to front tuition per se. It kind of becomes part of their wage. And I think, yeah, so that's been one of the struggles in residential construction is we don't have a formal training program. um, And a lot of people have struggled to figure out ways to sort of have something structural in place like this. And I feel like this really is a win-win for the employer and for the employee. Definitely. At the end of the program, do you have a kind of certification or is this more like a continuing ed? Um, What do they come out on the other side with education-wise? Yeah, so that's what's really neat. We're purchasing the Home Building Institute's curriculum for Residential um, Construction Academy Carpentry. And then part of their program design is at the end of the 12-month period, um, students should be able to take um, what's called the NOCTI Skills Assessment. assessment. I believe that's National Occupation Certification Training Institute. And and they come out with a nationwide recognized certification in carpentry. And I believe it's the only one in residential construction available at the moment. Wow, that's just amazing. Isn't that great? That is just fantastic. I'm so excited to be, I'm just a little part of it, but Courtney is just like driving this thing and it's just so exciting, so exciting. Is there any model for this uh, other places in the country? Um, Not uh, not that I'm completely aware of. There's a program in San Francisco that does a six-week program that I'm hoping um, to connect with more deeply. And then there is kind of job core training for veterans across the country that uses this curriculum. Okay. So we're just trying to communicate with those groups to make sure we learn from their experiences. Wow. Awesome. That just sounds phenomenal. Yeah. Is it specifically aiming toward diversity and equity programs? Yes. yes, exactly. So a lot of our outreach to potential students is trying to reach out through these grassroots grassroots organizations because um People of color, especially the black community, is underrepresented in the construction industry and in particular 
residential carpentry. I mm-hmm. think that relates to redlining and um, just a history of not having access to home ownership. And so I really hope that through this program, um, there's more access to great wages and um, just, you know, overall more home ownership and more involvement in the residential construction world. That sounds phenomenal. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you, Courtney. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. We will talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there is a website for more information. It's kind of long and complicated, so I'll do it fast here, but it's also down in the description. It's www.seattlecolleges.edu slash micropathways slash residential dash construction. Some great information there. Yeah. So let's move on to some uh, some of your questions. What questions did we get this week? Um, had somebody that asked was asking me about uh, they wanted to replace their deadbolt lock um, with one of those combination ones, not uh, you know the the push button ones, yeah, where yeah. you don't have to use a key, right? Um, and they were wondering, is like, is this something I can do, or do I have to hire somebody to do it? Great, um, great it, question. It is, yeah. yes. And, you know, they look intimidating, but really they're not. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you've changed. Um, I've now locks. done about, I've done about four now. Right. And just follow the directions, really follow the directions and it goes right through. But, but when you do that, oh, I got it now. And you start and it just totally screws you up and then you go to lock it and it won't lock or it won't unlock and it's like oh crap now what do I do so my my biggest um advice for changing door locks and door knobs is to follow the direction uh, that would step by step I would agree 100% like you say when you think you've got the gist of it nope Keep reading. Be really careful (laughs) and really do treat it like a step-by-step because there is one place that it's going to be different from maybe the door you have. They obviously use some plate in there for some other product. Right. So don't let that throw you off. Right. And even look at their picture because there's a little wire that goes through. It's got to come through. And you want it to come through in the exact mm-hmm. right place. Mm-hmm. And exactly. you can get cocky if you do two or three of them. Uh-huh. But yeah. And then uh, make sure you test this with the door open. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Or yeah. have somebody on the other side of the door so you can open it. Y- you it, will lock yes. yourself out sure as anything. <laughs> right. No, right. they're really handy, though. Having the And I'm not even talking about the wireless or the, the smart locks. Just even the the keyless entries. Just the combination is like one six seven five, right? And yeah, boom, and it opens, and it's like so much easier. And than, having different codes for different people who right. need to come in, so that you can zap the the smart ones are pretty exciting too. Because I haven't done manage. anything with those yet. I haven't yet either, just because they're so cost prohibitive. To oh, me are they right now? I mean, yeah, they're still hundreds of dollars. Where oh, okay. The and the keyless used to be, you know, that intimidating financially, right. but, but they're not. Yeah. They're just mm-hmm. a toss. Give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to carry my phone around to unlock my door. Oh, it's both. Oh, okay. It's got a keypad, but like, let's say the, the FedEx guy needs to drop. Maybe that's a bad example, but, or you're, <laughs> yeah, right. or like you're, um, any, but, but you other got the pest who, guy coming in to spray for ants. Yeah. And so you can say, Hey, I'll let you in. Da, 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 da. Call me. Um, yeah, or it's an easier way to manage codes that need to be changed. Okay. Okay. So what else do you have? 
Um, somebody wanted to know if they could use the same kind of paint for four different areas. So you got a mm. gallon of white paint, and they want to know um, they've got the inside of the door, the, the door jam, which is wood, right? Um, wood trim around the doors and the window that are stained but not finished. I wasn't quite sure what that was. What that meant? Finished, but. Um, so the third one is a closet and an entry door, and then a ceiling, which is just smooth drywall. And they want to <laughs> use the same kind of paint. Same kind meaning? The same paint. I have this gallon of white paint, and I want to paint all of these areas. Can I do it? Right. Well, sure, you can. <laughs> Absolutely, you can. However, I wouldn't recommend it um, for trim work. And doors, you want to use something that's a little more hardy than just your typical wall latex paint um, that's actually trim paint. Mm. It used to be that it was oil paint. Now it's Elkid paint, paint or there's enamel um, if you really want to get, you know, where it's going to be really hardy. Um, but there is specific trim paint. So it's, and it's still a, I think it's still a latex where you can wash it with water and clean up with water and everything. Right. Um, but it's a little more durable. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're uh, going through the doorway and you bang into it, if it were just typical latex paint that goes on the walls, then um, it's it's going to chip or scratch or whatever. Um, so you definitely want to use on the on the, the door trim, the door itself, use a, a trim paint. Um, for the closet and entry door, um, the same. Right, use the use the door the door paint the trim paint anything Unless, that's going to come into contact with possibly right, with stuff right and if you're using um, if the outside of the door is going to be painted um, you want to make sure that you're using something something that's rated for the exterior right that's going to be able to um, deal with the temperature changes um, if you get uh, weather on that side of your house you want to make sure that it's going to be able to um, withstand that as well mm -hmm. um, so you know an exterior trim paint is what you would want for that um, and then your ceiling um, typically that's just a latex paint um, people just normally do flat white paint for your ceiling and it doesn't have to be real durable or anything because you're not walking on it so ceiling and walls can mm -hmm. be similar they can they can. A lot of times the, the ceiling is um, the ceiling is flat so that the light's not, you know, reflecting off of it. Um, often the ceiling's white, walls are different color. However, you can you can paint them all the same color. You know, I think in my bathroom I have yellow ceiling and walls. So no judgment and no judgment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, no. Is it um, I remember it being very important that you didn't use matte or flat. In kitchens and bathrooms, does that still hold? Yes, it does because the things get spl splattered on in the kitchen, right? You get spaghetti sauce, or you know, the blender goes all over the place, or something like that. And and flat paint is it it just soaks that stuff up, and it's really hard to clean. Um, you can go and use an eggshell, which is a okay. little bit little bit um, I can't say shiny. But it's a little bit better than the flat, but I would actually suggest using a, a satin or a semi-gloss in your kitchen and bathroom just because it's got a shinier gloss to it and it doesn't um, take on the drops and the mildew and all that kind of stuff quite as much. 
But that's nice to know that maybe go for the um, eggshell if you do want a little bit more of a matte feel because the shiny bouncing around, not so bad in the bathroom, but in the kitchen, people kind of like more muted kitchens these days. It depends. Really? Yeah. You're not finding any? No, not really. A lot of people are doing tiled backsplashes. Right. So there's very little that's actually a painted surface anymore. It's, a, you know, the, the area above the cabinets. And even even now, the cabinets are going almost to the ceiling, and then they're putting in the crown mold. So you don't even have that strip of paint anymore. Um, you may have, you know, if you have a galley kitchen, you've got, you know, one side's got the sink, the other side's got the stove. And that wall that's in between them, you, you could paint. Is it, okay. Um, yeah, but I would still do a satin with that. Um, Sounds so, good. So Any other paint, painting kind tips? Um, no. no those, those, were my, those were my two questions that I wanted to, to cover those today. Sound good. Those sound good. All right, you have some tools, tricks, and tips also. Well, this is something that I was just, you know, I cruising around on Facebook, and I belong to some of those, you know, um, handy women groups and mm-hmm. DIY things. And I love to read people's um, uh, problems that they're having. And I like to answer their questions sometimes, yeah. especially when, when nobody's got it right. Right. <laughs> right. You've got 60 comments and I've read through, you know, quite a few of them. And it's like, no, that's not what you need to do. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, it, and a def- t- couple of different places, uh, people were talking about, they had a clogged bathtub drain. Now, for me, I use the the zip it, which is the the plastic thing with the barbs on it, and right. stick it down there, and it grabs the hair. But um, several people, even my office manager, I came in and I said, "Clog bathtub, what do you do?" And she said, "Don dishwash- dishwashing liquid and copious amounts of boiling hot water." And I said, "Really?" And she said, "Yep, it works every time." And then. My admin assistant sitting over there in her desk said, yeah, I just did that the other day. And it worked. Apparently, I had never heard that before. Oh, I, so you believe it. Because I've heard that too. Oh, yeah. I Well, until, <laughs> until I prove it wrong, right. I'm, I'm going to say, all right, they must have something. It's I like, mean, that's easy, right? It's just some dishwashing liquid and right. Poor man's drain, Drano. Right, if you don't have a zip it. And it's that kind of, uh, you can also do that to clean your toilet bowl too, right? Like if you, you know, the the holes oh, where right, the water yes. comes from the tank right. into your bowl. Right, you can sometimes get those, um, the minerals that start to deposit in there. Um, that would be a good one for the vinegar and baking soda. Because it's the 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 hardness of the water, the chemicals, not the chemicals, but the the um, minerals in the water that start to to accumulate. So the the vinegar and the baking soda are gonna dissolve it. Would you still put that in the tank? No, I would through. You just actually clean it. Yes. Oh, okay. I would I would just clean it with you know some vinegar and then and then maybe a solution with some baking soda in it and and let it sit there and and bubble up a little bit. Uh huh. And then rinse it out. And just to close that circle. The reason why that's problematic is sometimes if your toilet isn't flushing well, it's that the water isn't getting in there to create that vacuum fast enough. And so that'd be one reason that you want to make sure that those little holes are nice and clean. That's right. That sounds like a deep dive sometime. Oh, and that might be a comp- uh, accompanying video too, because that <laughs> I had that problem and I did the dish, uh, dish detergent trick and it was impressive. On yeah. your toilet you did it or in the shower? On the toilet. 
on the toilet. Because it, when you could flush it, but it just didn't have the sucking the power. Oomph. Yeah. yeah. And so it would take a couple of flushes, you know, to get a, a real good flush and cleaning those up were, was the problem. So did you get in there and scrub them? No. Or did you put stuff in the tank? Put the, just put a little bit of dishwashing soap in the tank. Really? And then just flush it through a couple of times. And uh, I, I think also you can let it, you flush it once and then kind of sit it, uh, sorry, let it set against, you know, cause there's always water kind of running mm-hmm. up against there. And, uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. Wow. I liked it. A little extra, little extra trick for uh, yeah, for free there. Yeah, <laughs> I have never cleaned those holes in the toilet. Well, that's why when I I asked, you said, "Would well, that be good to put the vin- you know clean it with vinegar there?" And I think that was the nice thing about this is it it was a good first easy try, mm-hmm. you know, to throw it in there. And you're not having to clean inside that bowl. Yeah, yeah, which okay. is not a bad idea to clean, but. In this way, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> what else do you have? Um, oh, for clogged drain, the zip oh, it. Right. We've got the, and then um, when you're doing the plunger, right, um, say for a kitchen sink, mm-hmm. you've got two sinks, two bowls. So when you go to plunge it, you need to stop up that second sink and the dishwasher air gap if you have one mm, right clamp mm-hmm. that clamp that that hose because plunging it is just going to go out those other holes so you know um i heard somebody took a sock and wrapped it in saran wrap and then stuck it in the in the drain and oh yeah it, it worked it was enough so you know have somebody hold the the stopper down so you're able to get some good force on on the plunger i think you even have to do that on some tubs too on the t- yeah, you're, you've got your overflow, so that'll happen as well. So you need to take that cover off and and um, cover that as Really well. block it, because it's not quite enough just to cover it. Or I found, you know, to, to put a towel in front of it wasn't enough of really blocking that the air Right, because still- it's kind of hard because it's up underneath. And then mm-hmm. also uh, your bathroom sink has got an overflow. Um, right. That's got that, that little hole that gets kind of nasty sometimes. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can't even see it, but... Yeah, that that has to be. And can yeah. you just use a uh, a toilet plunger on those? You, if, they, if there are no case size, again, if as long as the seal is being made, you can. They do have smaller plungers. They've got those small plungers that are about um, oh, I don't know, eight to ten inches long, and it looks like an accordion kind of thing. And those work really good for um, sinks. Oh, okay. Yeah, really nice, kind of easy. I don't like stick. I don't like plungers. I'm not a plunger fan. Really. Just, they're disgusting. But that's the problem with them. Not that they don't operate Not that well. they don't work. It's just, you know. You just don't like the thought of them. I'm like one and done with a plunger. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not environmentally correct or anything like that. But, but yeah, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> I don't know. Or you can clean it. That's all that, right. That's true. To, you to can, those, you can to do those that. their own. Right, right. <laughs> Any last tip for us? Do you know how to test if your exhaust fan is working properly? I would probably put a uh, match up there or something. Are you talking about the exhaust fan in your kitchen or in your bathroom? Both. I guess I'd create some type of smoke to see where it goes. Oh, okay. That would work. What What do you What yeah. idea do you have? Take a, well, in the bathroom, just take a piece of toilet paper and oh. get up there and, and put it up against the fan um, grill, and it should actually hold that piece of toilet paper to that grill. And that's that would be a good test if it's 
not only working, but has a good, right. good pull, mm-hmm. nice yeah. and strong. Yep. Yep. And the same thing, you can do the same thing with your um, range hood. Do the, you know, little test to see if it holds that paper towel. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. And and safer than lighting matches everywhere. Well, I'm, however you want <laughs> to do it. <laughs> no, that's a great idea. Yeah. So um, on to some remodeling advice. Super. Yes. What aspect are we going to? So when you're going through, um, say you've hired a contractor, you're going through the contract and you're looking at the bid and all this, and then and, and you come across this line that says contingency. Mm. What does that mean? How does that, how does that work? And, you know, every contractor can, can do it differently. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to have an idea that, it might be there and kind of what what it's supposed to cover. So a contingency is, it's kind of like an oops fund. Not that they're going to make mistakes, but that, oops, we missed this because we couldn't see it, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't know what's behind the walls. Right. Um, or we get into the project and what we thought was going to work doesn't work because of something we discovered. So uh, often contractors will have a contingency in the contract, and it's probably a certain percentage. I don't use contingencies just because I don't like them. Um, but a lot of contractors do. And so when, you go, when you're going through the project and, and for some reason, say they open the wall in the bathroom, and where they want that recessed um, medicine cabinet – they find that the vent line for the plumbing goes right through the middle of where that mm. that recessed medicine cabinet is supposed to go. It's like, now what do we do? Well, it's relatively easy just to move that, right? It's just it's just an air vent kind of thing. So they can do a, a reroute on that. But that's going to cost something. So that would be a contingency, not something that we knew about. Um, has to be changed because you want to have your, you got this really great medicine cabinet. So that would be part of the contingency. So what that cost, that part of the job cost comes out of that contingency. And it goes until the contingency is gone or the, or the project is over. And um, I don't know anybody that holds on to those contingency funds when the job's over. It's like, ooh, it's a bonus for the general contractor. Um, typically, um, the general contractor will refund those monies that weren't used during the during the project. Um, but it's just a good idea to know. It's like, what what is this contingency and what does it cover? And if, if you don't have a good enough explanation from your general contractor, definitely ask them. It's like, what's this going to cover? Give me examples. And um, am I going to get it refunded when we're done? Yeah, I think yeah. that's important. And so this is different than an allowance, it is different. That than might allowance. also be included in a, a bid or your contract. Right. So when we do allowances, it's um, I'm going to give you a certain allowance for, say, you want to um, tile your your shower enclosure. So you you mentioned to me as we were going through and, and reviewing your project that you wanted to do um, subway tile. So I know pretty much what subway tile runs, right? So I will give you a certain dollar amount per square foot for that for that subway tile. So I would say like, okay, it's going to be $2 a square foot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, when either we will purchase the tile, um, which typically if we're giving you an allowance, we are purchasing the tile. So it's like, okay, go pick your tile and 
great. This one is $2.25 a square foot. So we're going to do a change order for that $0.25 cents per square foot that you've gone over your, your allowance. And we'll do that also for, um, you know, like the faucet or the toilet, the bathtub. Appliances. Anything. Right. Yes. And, and so you've got, you know, tip, you've got an allowance here. You've got $1,000 to go spend on a stove. And the thing that I like about the allowance being included in the, if not necessarily the contract, at least kind of the, the, the bid and the outline of the costs is then in your head, you know, oh, that kitchen wasn't $38,000. It was actually $56,000 right. because of your appliances and, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. This is a little off topic, but... Speaking about allowances and who's purchasing the materials, can you talk a little bit about the pros and cons of you purchasing them? Because I think some homeowners would say, well, I can go and and buy the tile. What's going to be the con of that? That we're not going to warranty the the materials. Okay. And um, if we, like, we'll tell you, okay, you need 65 square feet of tile um, for your tub enclosure. And you purchase it, and you only get 55 square feet. Because that's what your calculation, homeowner's calculations. Right. Even though we may have said to them, they didn't decide to do the 15%. They got the 10%. <laughs> they got the 10 yes. Um, so then it, it's it's on them, right? We are we now have a, a project delay due to due to them and not to us, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Just starts still getting messy good. then. Right. Yeah. Um, And that can, it's not just the annoyance of that delay, but that can throw your whole schedule off. If your tile person was supposed to be done by this certain time, then it just cascades into a problem from then. There's another problem of just not being able to maybe find that batch again. Right, color lots. Exactly. Yes. Um, And when we go to get it, when we have it in the contract and we're going to take care of it, then... You choose it, and then we're going to purchase it. We're going to order it. We're going to have it on site. We're going to have everything that we need to do that tile job for that. We're going to have the bullnose or the Schluter trim or, you know, whatever it is that we need to get that done. Whereas if you're purchasing it, you might not know. Now, there is there is another con to us purchasing it, however, is that we do mark up those materials. Right. Because you have to pay for our time to go do that, sourcing it out and picking it up and making sure that everything's there. And do you know of contractors that insist on purchasing it? Yes. There are there are contractors out there that do that because they're they're looking to make money on the, the materials themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, some people, some contractors mark up their materials up to 100%. Is that a fair thing to ask? Because I always thought, well, I can get it cheaper because I'm going to go pay retail for it and then you won't put your markup on it. When in actuality, you are likely getting it at wholesale and then putting part of your markup on it. So sometimes it would be about the same price, or is that not true? No, that's that's true sometimes. It's not it's not always always true. Sometimes we pay the same price that you would, um, and then there are other times where we do have um, a contractor discount. Mm-hmm. Um, for tile and flooring and carpet and, and that kind of stuff. And also fixtures. We um, will sometimes have um, uh, discounts on that as well. Got it. Yeah. A fair question to not ask, or a, or a not not fair question, <laughs> <laughs> is what do we charge for markup? And why isn't that fair? That's kind of proprietary information. It's like, 
I, what I tell people, people will ask me, so what is your markup on your materials and how much do you charge an hour? And that's like, that's almost like asking somebody, how much money do you make? Right? It's just not, it's not a question that you ask. Except I'm paying that. You are. And, and do you ask that when you buy a car? The sticker price is there. It tells me how much if I want to upgrade the wind, the wheels, and I give you a price. price as well. So I say that it's proprietary information, but I will tell you that I price my jobs to make a ten percent profit. Mm-hmm. So you can look at that base price, and you can look at it, it's like, oh, okay, you're going to make you know five thousand dollars off of this job, right? So that's after everybody's paid, all the materials right. are paid, right, and that type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Is that a fair question to ask? That to me would seem proprietary too, though. What is your profit? Yeah. It depends. I, some people will tell you. I won't. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of contractors that won't, but I do know some that do. It's just, you know, it, it all depends on And some people what care and some people don't. Right. Right. Some people want it absolutely itemized, line item, what am I paying for, you know, shop materials and things like that. And, and that we just don't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Having a contingency line item is nice because then you're setting up the homeowner to understand there are going to be things that we don't see. There True. Are, there are going to be almost every job there's going to be a contingency. You said you don't like them. So how do you handle contingencies when you, I believe you do a, a flat rate per job, correct? Is we, that how yes, you we, do, we do a fixed price contract. Um, however, there is the caveat of if we run into something that would like the vent pipe going through the wall where we want to put the medicine cabinet. So what we'll address that through a change order. So we'll stop the work. We'll let them know. It's like, that, look, this is what's going on. This is what we need to do to fix it. And this is what it's going to cost. Additionally, we'll write that up. They have to approve it and they have to pay it. And then we we continue on with our work. So if that's not included in your fixed price you at least, I assume, discuss that. Yes, absolutely. We go through that process. If there's anything that we find or you want to make changes midstream or whatever, we address those with change orders. Got it. Great. Right. If you have any questions about any of your projects or projects you're considering doing, please send them to askamy at amyworks.com. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Lee. This podcast is sponsored by Amy Works, a residential remodeling contractor in Seattle. We want to help you realize the dream of your next kitchen, bath, or basement remodel. Check out some of our work on our website, amyworks.com. Give us a call at 206-478-2019 or send us an email at help at amyworks.com.